Welcome to Bite Size Payments, where I attempt to explain the history of payments, how they work, and who does what. In the last episode, I talked through a lot of the history, the very early history, literally from bartering and its issues to the use of coins, um, shells, beads, and the issuance of paper money with banknotes. But to take it much further, we have to not only understand the establishment of a lot of that infrastructure, but what a lot of the terminology means. And while we kind of know what money is, we know kind of what currency is, do we really? So what I'm going to do in this episode is to try and unpack a lot of that terminology so that as we move forward, we don't have to go back, oh, yes, but central bank money means that, or currency actually means this. And we'll also have a bit of history of uh, how these terms came about. So that's what we're going to do. Hold on to your hats. So, money, payments, currency. We bandy these things around all the time. And in this industry, the payment industry, we have a significant number of acronyms to try and shorten things down, whether they're three letters, four letters, five letters. My word, they go on and on and on. And they can become very complex. So complex, in fact, that it's almost impossible to try and get your brain around it from all aspects of payments. However, it's also true to say, unlike many, nearly every other industry, the payment industry is an industry that we're heavily involved of. We are one of the major stakeholders. Now, clearly there are other stakeholders, but we are involved in getting paid, buying things, paying our taxes, paying friends, all those good things. So we are absolutely in the mix of this industry. And when you really step back and have a little think about it. We know an awful lot about payments. And I've spent a lot of my time training people going through sessions and I've tried to explain to folks, hey, you know how to buy a cup of coffee. You bought one this morning. You paid for it. That was a payment. Hopefully your company paid you last month. That's a different type of payment. You may have bought a house. You may have been lucky enough to do that. And you had a different type of payment to do that. You have all been on holiday, I'm guessing. And so you've done FX. You've done currency exchanges. Well, hold on. You seem like an expert. Except when you get to the next level of detail, ah, we try and make it much more complex, much, much more complex with these acronyms. That's what we're going to try and explore quite a bit of this. It's also true to say, it's not just people from the outside of the industry. It is absolutely true to say that people within the industry, depending upon where they are in the industry, whether they're a central bank, whether they're a merchant, whether they're a high street bank, they will think about payments in very, very different ways. And the terminology will be very different. It's also true to say that depending on where you are around the world, whether you're in the US, whether you're in Europe, you might call various bits of payments different things. So we have, for instance, 
wholesale payments or corporate payments. In fact, they're the same thing, but in different regions around the world, they're called different things. Hmm. We also have a very annoying habit of having different types of payment methodologies known by their brand name rather than how they actually operate. So I'm here in the UK, and if you wanted to do mass payments, bulk payments, ACH payments, we would call them BACS payments. If I was in Europe, we'd call them SEPA payments. If I was in the US, we'd call them natural payments. They do very, very similar things, but being known by the brand name rather than the processing type seems to add another level of complexity, a level of mystery when you're trying to understand what's going on. In fact, they're almost identical. So payments can occlude itself with its different layers, but let's try and get back to some of the more simple principles. Let's get back to this money, currency, legal tender, etc., and try and explore that a little bit more. So what is money? Well, obviously money, it's a gas. That's because I'm a person of a certain age, and of course I can hear Pink Floyd singing, money. Well, better than sing too much, I'll put you off. Money, it's, well, it's three things really. It's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, and it's a store of value. And that value must be widely accepted in the country for goods or services. So when I say medium of exchange, I literally mean that money can allow people to buy and sell goods, services, without having to engage in that bartering thing we talked about. It's also a unit, and that unit says it's a pound, it's a euro, it's a dollar, and it's always a pound, a dollar or a euro, what have you, and it's a store of value. It means that if I can save it for a rainy day, when I come back, guess what? It's still worth a dollar, a euro, or a pound, or whatever you. Throughout history, various items have been used as money, including things like shells and beads, and of course, coins, precious metal coins, and then standard coins, as well as paper currency, i.e. banknotes. And of course, now we're starting to have digital money and electronic money, like cryptocurrencies, and electronic payments. The specific form of money used in any society often depends on factors such as the cultural preferences, technology advancements, and the stability of the economy. The term money originates from the Latin word manata. The word manata was derived from the name of the Roman god Huno Narata, who was the goddess of marriage and women, as well as the protectress of funds. The temple of Huno Manata, located in the Capitoline Hill, in ancient Rome, housed the mint, where Roman coins were actually produced. And due to the association of the word manata, eventually became to use for the coins that were made in the temple. And from there, it's a short hop to what we now call money. Effectively, there are two broad categories of money. Central bank money, i.e. money that is issued and established by a central bank, a euro, a dollar, a pound, what have you, and commercial bank money. Commercial bank money is issued by a commercial bank, a high street bank, to generate a loan, or to facilitate a loan, I should say. But I'll talk more about that later on when we come to CBDCs and crypto.
So what is currency then? Well, in the context of money, the term currency conveys the idea that money flows through an economy circulating and facilitating trade and transactions, i.e. the dollar or the euro. The term currency is derived from the Latin word currens, which is the present participle of the verb cura, which means to flow or to run. Please forgive my pronunciation of Latin, as you can probably already understand English is bad enough, let alone my Latin. But anyway, that's where it came from. The use of the term currency is to describe assistance of money, and it dates back, as we talked a little bit about, to the 17th century, when it was first used by the English to refer to the circulation of money or the condition of being in circulation. So nearly every country in the world, 195 of them, by and large, have their own currency, their own brand of money, if you will, whether that's the dollar or that's the pound or whatever it is. But it says something very profound, and it also allows the government, through its sovereignty, to manage various pieces, monetary policy, exchange rate management. And so these things, amongst others, make the currency very, very important. You can effectively create a walled garden that says, hey, this is my country. If you want to deal and trade with my country, you can. Here's my currency. Here's my rules. Here's how it works. So having established currency in my country allows me effectively to have a monopoly of how things are traded inside of my country. Also allows me to facilitate taxes, how they're paid, etc., etc. So, currency, sovereignty, inextricably linked. Very powerful governmental devices. Okay, so we've got money. We know where it came from. We've now established what currency is, why it's important. What are we going to do with this currency? Well, let's make a payment. So what is a payment? A payment is simply put, an exchange of value, money, for a good or a service. That's it. Now, we can and have and probably will continue to make it more and more complex, but the truth of the matter is it's relatively simple. It's also ironic to note that very few people wake up in the morning and think, ah, you know what, I wanna make a payment today. In reality, they have to pay bills. You want to buy a cup of coffee. You want to buy a dress. You need to pay your taxes or your suppliers. Very few people wake up. There are a few. There are very few people have a wake up and think, today's the day I want to make a payment. But it's an important thing in our everyday life. Payments literally make the world go around. They're not particularly interesting per se, but they do make the world go around. And there are literally hundreds of different methodologies of making a payment. Some of the more obvious ones are, for instance, cash, the most traditional of all of them, going back to the 17th century that we talked about. Checks. Checks, first check was written in 1659. And guess what? We still have checks. 
A credit card or a debit card, nearly everyone listening to this will at least have one of those. Um, you can make a wire transfer or a RTGS transfer, or you can use your phone, which is stored a wallet or an immediate payment or whatever it has. Or you can be paid via a ACH, as we talked about earlier on. We'll talk through each of these in more detail and explain how they work, who does what, and how the money goes around. But there is a lot of methodologies of how you can make a payment. And they have very, very different attributes. So if I pay by uh, immediate payment, it's immediate. And when you press that button, the funds are committed. You can't go back. Now, I could write a check, and I grew up in an era when checks took up to 10 days to get processed. Or you could have a credit card and use the credit card to make a payment, and that can take up to 48 days to go out of your account. And at any moment in time, up to that 48 days, you can go back and change your mind. So there are different properties of different types of payments. And as I say, there are literally hundreds of different methodologies. However, when you peel back the methodologies, there's only a few. And I'm going to outline those, how they work, who does what, and why they work in the way that they have and where they've come from, etc. One of the more interesting observations you can make about payments is the fact that they defy the second law of thermodynamics. They don't obey entropy laws. They don't reduce. In fact, over time, we just add and add and add, and we just don't take them away. I joked a little bit before about the first check being written in the London Tavern in uh, 1659, and I, I, I just, you know, I'm fascinated to be thinking about being an, an observer at the time and then going, wow, this is such a revolutionary thing. This is going to be a big change. This is going to change the world we know. We have checks. Nothing can stop us now. Well, 1659 seems like an awful long time ago. And for us to still be processing checks? Mm. Anyway, lots of different payment methodologies, different aspects, different attributes, time, commitments, and, of course, insurance in some cases. However, and it's a big however, Payments effectively make the world go round. Okay, we're on the last lap now. Legal tender. Well, legal tender is probably not a term that I would have used maybe a year ago if I was writing this podcast. But all of a sudden, legal tender is a really important term. And it's really important because of the introduction of CBDCs. Effectively, Legal tender is a form of money that is recognized by law as a means of payment. In other words, if you offer to pay for something with legal tender, the seller is legally obligated to accept it. Now, that's not always true. You know, think about cards, think about checks, think about cryptocurrencies. And the reason I bring this up is because before this, we didn't really have to think about central bank money or commercial bank money. It was just kind of money. But now we have crypto. And to combat that, 
central banks are bringing in CBDCs, the digital euro, digital dollar, digital sterling, what have you. But if they're going to do that, then they have to, because it's central bank money, establish that it's accepted, i.e. it is legal tender. Well, of course, right now it isn't. So it requires quite a bit of change to make sure that if a central bank issues a digital euro, that it is accepted everywhere. Or you make a change to legal tender to say, why not? So legal tender has now a very important meaning for us to get our brains around. But effectively, it just means if it's legal tender, the seller has to accept it. Simple as that. Some examples of legal tender, well, of course, coins, banknotes issued by the government and the country that you're in, of course, checks drawn upon a bank, money orders, traveler's checks. Some examples of non-legal tender, IOUs, bartering, cryptocurrencies. So legal tender is kind of important, but really it's only important because of CBDCs. Okay, so let's call it a wrap. In this episode, we've talked about money, where it's come from. We've talked about currency, why it's really important for the country. We've talked about payments and the different types of payments there can be. And we've talked a little bit about legal tender. So we now, I think, have the basics of how we go forward. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the history of payments and bring us closer up to speed so we can then ultimately dive down into the different types and different stakeholders that we need to do. For now, that's what money is anyway. I really hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Let's try and go on this bite-sized payments journey together. It's my intention to get this out on most of the platforms you would expect, the Spotify's, the Apple's, etc. But they'll be on every major platform that I can possibly get it out on. If you'd like to go on the journey, please do think about subscribing. If you'd like to get in touch, please do send me an email at bitesizepayments at gmail.com. If I could ask for one favor, just one favor, that would be if you've enjoyed the podcast, please recommend it to a friend because by far and away, that's the best way to get the message out. And I'd be ever so grateful until the next podcast. Cheers. <laughs>